Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, uh, please turn to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in these black chair pockets that you are welcome to borrow. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep that one. We're turning to the book of Hebrews, which is towards the end of the New Testament. So after Paul's letters, after Titus, after Philemon, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And if you're, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, that's page 866. We're going to Hebrews chapter 11. In the first century AD, there was a community of Jewish Christians. And, and their lives, they were raised in families that were centered on the Jewish scriptures, centered on the promises God made to Abraham, on the law God gave through Moses. Their Judaism was the glue that held their communities together, that held, that bound them to one another. And then they heard about Jesus. And they trusted in him that he was the Messiah God sent, that he was the king they'd been waiting for, that he was the fulfillment of their whole history and their holy book. They trusted that Jesus is God's son. And they thought, oh, God's keeping his promises. Everything is going to get better now. And instead, things got worse. Because not everyone in their community trusted in Jesus. And the ones who didn't trust in Jesus thought that they were turning their back on their families, turning their back on their culture, turning their back on their history, turning their back on God by going after this, this quack from, from Galilee. And so their communities began to turn against them. And, and the Roman government wasn't all that thrilled about Christianity either because it claimed to have a king, which seems a little unsettling when you're the emperor. And so, so almost immediately their lives, which they expected to get better, got worse. They were gossiped about and slandered and spoken ill of, you know, and, and some of their property was taken from them. They were robbed because they trusted in Jesus. Some of them were thrown in prison for being Christians. And these new Christians began to think seriously about taking a step back from their trust in Jesus. Not walking away, just toning it down a little bit, blending back in, giving up those things that kind of marked them out as Christians, that made them seem different from everyone else. They didn't want to walk away. They just wanted to moderate, take it easy, keep their heads down. And one day, a letter arrived to this community from a friend and a teacher. And the letter was bracing and clear and strengthening. And the letter called them to keep going with Jesus, not to back off, but to press on, to go deeper, because Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the temple and the priesthood and all the sacrifices. Jesus is better than everything. And all those things were pointing to him. And now that he's come, we can never go back. We should never go back. Because to turn your back on Jesus, to, to back off from him, is to back off from forgiveness and assurance and hope and joy. This letter called them to deeper into life with Jesus. And that's this letter, the letter to the Hebrews, the letter we're looking at this morning. We don't know who wrote it, but it is a marvel and it's a treasure. And in one of the most famous passages, which we'll be looking at this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, the author calls the believers to keep going with Jesus by faith. By faith. So what is faith? If you have your Bible open, you can look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Sometimes we think that faith is different than knowledge. Like some things we know and some things we believe. 
because it's kind of flimsy. But this letter says that faith is assurance. It's being sure. It's being convinced of what we hope for. It's being so sure about something in the future that your present life changes because of it. So I haven't seen my immediate family, my wife and my kids, for a week, um, which feels longer than it sounds. I haven't seen them for a week because Kim took the kids to Chicago early for our summer holiday. And tomorrow, God willing, I'll get on a plane and I'll, I'll join them there. And when I get on that plane, I'm going to be feeling super excited to you know, see those little monsters and wrestle with them on the floor and, and kiss my wife. I'm going to feel super excited. I'm not going to feel at all afraid, which is strange because I'll be sitting in a machine that someone has described as a building turned sideways and thrown. Right? The only thing that keeps planes from flying out of the sky is is speed, is that they're going really fast, but I'm not going to be afraid in the least because I'm going to be sitting on that plane, I'm going to be thinking about seeing my family, and I'm going to be so confident in the pilot's skill, so confident in the thoroughness of the maintenance crew, so confident in Bernoulli's principle that I am going to be enjoying already my destination. I'm going to be so sure of my good future that it's going to change my present condition. I'll fly by faith. So faith trusts that God will do what he said, that when we arrive where we're going, it will be just as God told us it would be. It's a sight of things that are not yet visible, but they're certain because God has said so. And faith produces a certain kind of life. So look at verse 2. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. They received their commendation. So this is th- these two verses introduce the theme of Hebrews 11, that faith is being so sure of what we hope for that it, it gives us a present life that earns God's commendation, his well done. God says of the life lived by faith, well done. That's just what I wanted for you. And Hebrews 11 is filled with story after story of these people of old, these saints from the Old Testament who lived by faith. And it would take us weeks to look through all of them but we're going to look at just three this morning, and and these three together point, as they all point, to this reality. Faith is confidence in a future good that enables enduring obedience in the present. Faith is confidence in a future good that enables enduring obedience in the present. So we're going to look at, from Hebrews 11, three pictures of living by faith. And the first is how Abraham lives by faith. So let's read verses 8 to 16 together. I'll read. You can follow along, and it'll also be on the screen behind me. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham was an idol worshiper in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And one day, God spoke to him. God he knew nothing about. God spoke to him and told him to take his wife and to leave his home and to go a place that God would show him. And Abraham went. God told him that that his wife, who was barren, who couldn't have kids, that she would have a son, and their son would have kids, and his kids would have kids, and eventually Abraham would become a great nation. And through that nation, God would bless all the nations of the earth. And he told them that the land where they were going, that Abraham would inherit, it would be his land. It would belong to his family forever. And by faith, Abraham obeyed. Eventually his son Isaac was born. He lived long enough to see Isaac have two sons, grandsons for Abraham, Esau and Jacob. But Abraham, though God had promised him that he would own that land, he never owned a home in it. It says in verse 9, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. God, God, Abraham never had a home in the land that was his. He lived in tents. He lived in mobile homes his whole life. He never had a home. He lived by faith, confident in a future good. So what future good did Abraham see? Verse 10 says, He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham was looking beyond the promised land, to the eternal home of God's people. Not heaven, but heaven come down to earth. A new creation healed of evil and sin and fear and death. This is the city that the Apostle John describes in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, For the former things have passed away. Abraham saw that city where he and his family would live with God forever, and it enabled him to live with enduring obedience. So, what what did it enable? What enduring obedience did it enable? It enabled patience in the face of unfulfilled promises. Not never fulfilled, but not fulfilled when Abraham thought they would be. He had to wait 25 years for his son to be born. God said, You're going to have a son. And he waited for 25 years. And then he lived another 75 years. And at the end of that time when he died, the only thing he owned was a burial plot. No home, no permanent place for him in the land that God had promised. At times, Abraham was tempted to doubt that God would come through. But faith, his assurance, kept him steady in the face of unfulfilled promises. When I was a teenager and a Boy Scout... 
um, I spent a week on a sailboat in the Florida Keys. And I had been on the water before. I'd been on fishing boats and ski boats, but I'd never lived on the water before. I'd never, you know, prepared a meal inside of a boat before. And I, I rapidly learned that, which as many of you know, that the best way to deal with seasickness is to get upstairs, get in the fresh air, and fix your eyes on the horizon. When, when your whole life, when everything in your life is heaving, you have to have a fixed point to focus on. Abraham had a fixed point he could focus on, and it enabled him to live by faith, to endure in his obedience. It enabled him to endure a life that fell short of his hopes. It enabled him not to turn back. Because the passage says, in verse 15, it says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Abraham could have gone back to Ur. He probably had a good life there. He wasn't living in a tent. He could have gone back to what was easy. He could have gone back to what he knew. But because his eyes were fixed on what God had promised, he was able to endure disappointment. He lived by faith. So do you feel disappointed by God? Do you ever feel let down by Christianity? You haven't changed as much as you thought you would by this point. You thought by this point you'd be impervious to the old temptations. You thought you'd be a better parent. You thought God would heal you, and he hasn't. You thought God would reconcile the relationship, and he hasn't. You thought he would abundantly provide for you, and you're just getting by. There's a moment late in the Lord of the Rings when Sam and Frodo have gotten into Mordor, which is the bleak, lifeless land of the enemy. And they're, they're running out of provision, they're running out of water, they're running out of energy, they're running out of hope. They're just, despair is creeping on them. But as Frodo was sleeping and Sam was keeping watch, he saw something. Far above the Ethel Duoth in the west, the night sky was still dim and pale. There, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. In this world, we don't get to understand why God waits to answer prayer, why he waits to heal, why he waits to work. Abraham didn't understand either, but we know that in the end, the shadow is a light and passing thing. We will be with God and enjoy him forever, but as long as we live here, we need glimpses of the light and the high beauty to come. And the life of Abraham reminds us that the way we see that light and high beauty, the way we see our future good, is by faith. Now, the second picture of living by faith. How Moses lived by faith. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So after Abraham died, his family continued to grow, and they got bigger and bigger, and there was a famine in the land where they were living. So they went to Egypt where there was food. 
And in Egypt, they flourished. They prospered. They became the great nation God had promised they would be. So great, in fact, that the Egyptians started to get nervous. And so the Egyptians enslaved them. They mistreated them to the point of trying to kill every boy born to a Hebrew family. But some families were able to protect their sons. Some of them were able to hide them. And one of those sons was Moses. Moses' mother hid him as long as she could. And then when she couldn't hide him anymore, she put him in a basket and set him along the river, hoping that someone would find him and care for him. And the person who found him was Pharaoh's daughter, the daughter of the king. So though Moses was a child of slaves, he grew up as a prince. And one day, Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, beating a slave. And Moses came to the slave's rescue. He killed the Egyptian And then he had to flee the country. He became an enemy of the state and an enemy to his family because he had chosen sides. He had chosen to side with God's people against the ones that he grew up among. And he did it by faith. So what future good did Moses see? The author says in in verse 25, it says that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Do you guys know that that the pleasures of sin are fleeting? Moses did. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So he saw the reward of obedience, of not turning his back on God's people, not turning his back on God's word. He saw the reward of obedience, and it was more valuable than any treasure. It was more satisfying than any pleasure. So he put two options in front of him. In one, in one, the one he grew up with, he, he, could have, um, he could have all the money he could ever want, all the pleasure he could ever want, all the, the fame and companionship and food and drink he could ever desire. And in the other, he had hardship and, and living on the run and hunger and poverty and reward. And the reward was so great that it tipped the scales. It says that the reward to him, that the reproach of Christ was more valuable than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. The reward was what he saw by faith. And it enabled him to enduringly obey in the present. So what did it it enable for him? It enabled costly love for God's people. He chose to identify with God's mistreated people to put himself in danger in order to not turn his back on God and on his reward. It cost him, loving God's people cost him his wealth, his privileged life, his adopted family, his friends. He became an enemy of the state. He chose love over comfort. And the people receiving this letter had that hard choice too because the most outspoken Christians were getting thrown in prison. And this, this wasn't like a state-run penitentiary where they gave you three square meals a day. If you were in prison and no one brought you food, you starved. So someone had to bring these guys food in prison, but if you brought them the food, then you'd be identified with them. That Everyone would know that you're with them, that you believe what they believe, that you're part of that community too. So it invites the same treatment. So the temptation was just to keep your head down, go about your business, let somebody else take the heat. But that wouldn't be living by faith. And loving God's people costs us too. Doesn't it? Just identifying as a Christian invites criticism and mockery in certain circles. And then to go beyond that to showing tangible love to those who are mistreated, 
to those who aren't getting a fair shake. That's hard. It's tempting to just go with the flow, to just enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, fit in while we can, but that's not living by faith. We need to see the reward, the life to come, the commendation of God that nothing in this world can touch, like Moses did. Now, the third and final picture of living by faith, how Jesus lived by faith. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer to the Hebrews says, just like Abraham lived by faith and just like Moses lived by faith, Jesus saw something so good in his future that enabled him to obey in the present. What did he see? Verse 2 says that, that he saw the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So for Jesus, the cross was not the end. It was a way station. It was a threshold. It was a passage into joy. He looked beyond the cross to joy. And not just the joy of resurrection, though that was great, but it talks about how he looked to the joy of sitting down at the right hand of his father. He looked to the joy of being reunited with his father. The joy of coming into the courts of heaven to deafening praise because he had conquered death and hell. And seeing that is how Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Because the cross was incredibly shameful. The Romans wouldn't execute a Roman citizen on a cross. It was too awful. It was, it was reserved for people who were subhuman, who were, you know, slaves, people, the worst criminals, people who deserved no dignity and no regard. That was the death the king of heaven endured. For the joy set before him, he did it by faith. Jesus had never died before, right? He knew everything. He's the son of God, but he didn't know what it was like to die. When he on the cross said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he was living, he was dying by faith. He was trusting his Father that what he had said would happen, would happen. And the writer of the Hebrews says that we should run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus. And we can look to Jesus as the ultimate example of living by faith, right? Nobody did it as perfectly as he did. That's true. But we need to look to him as more than just that. The author says that he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus isn't, he isn't just a good man. He's not even just a perfect man. He's God in the flesh. So what Abraham and Moses did is inspiring. It's encouraging. It's a great picture of living by faith. But what Jesus did actually enables us to live by faith. He's the founder of our faith. Another way to translate that is to say that he's the pioneer of our faith. He's the, he's the trailblazer. He's blazed a trail into the presence of God that even sinners, imperfect people, can follow. Because he's also the perfecter of our faith, he says. He's the perfecter of our faith, and we need a perfecter, don't we? Because our faith is far from perfect. We fall so far short. We don't we, we choose the fleeting pleasures of sin. We choose the treasures of this world. We know the good we ought to do, and we don't do it. We don't obey with endurance because our faith is weak. We're weak. 
And we're not the only ones. Because you think, you think Abraham never faltered? Abraham, when God delayed to give him a son, Abraham had a son with his wife's maid to try to help God along. His faith was far from perfect. Moses, God wouldn't even let Moses come into the promised land because he failed to honor him in the wilderness. Moses' faith fell short too. And yet, in Hebrews 11, they're commended for their faith. They still get God's well done. How is it the people that fail, that fall short, whose faith isn't perfect, how can they get God's well done, his commendation? It's because of what the author says in chapter 11, verse 7. He says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There's a righteousness that comes by faith. Paul talks about this. The New Testament talks about this, that, that when we trust in Jesus, even if our faith is weak, our faith is counted as righteousness. We get God's commendation, his well done. We don't have to be perfect in faith. We don't have to be strong in faith. Just to have faith in Jesus earns, receives a righteousness that comes through faith. And here's how. Because Jesus lived the life of perfect faith. He lived a life of perfect obedience. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. And on the cross, he suffered the punishment for those who didn't live a life of perfect faith, of perfect obedience, of perfect righteousness. Us. And Jesus suffered that punishment on the cross. He was counted as a sinner so we could be counted righteous with his righteousness. So Jesus got our report card, straight Fs, so that God can give us Jesus' report card, which is straight a pluses, so we can be commended for our faith. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith, and that's how we can know that our future is good. That's how we can know that all that God has promised us will come to pass. How we can have assurance of things hoped for. We can be assured of our reward. We can be sure that we will be welcome in the city that has foundations because Jesus died to make it so. Faith is confidence in a future good that enables enduring obedience in the present. Faith sees a future so certain and so satisfying that it overwhelms the appeal of whatever sin offers us in the moment. So we can endure. So where do you need endurance today to stick with Jesus? Maybe you know that there's a way God is calling you to identify with him and with his people. There's something he wants you to speak up about, something he wants you to stop doing, something he wants you to start doing, and you know that if you do, you're going to stick out. You're going you're gonna to be weird in your workplace, with your friends, in your neighborhood. You're not going to fit in. And here's the difference living by faith makes. You can think, it's hard not to fit in. It's hard. It's hard not to fit in. But I know that I belong with God and his people. Jesus has made sure that I will be welcome in the city that has foundations, where everyone belongs. It's not far off. And until then, the God who will welcome me then welcomes me now into relationship with him. He welcomes me now into the community of his people so I can endure not fitting in. I know what awaits me. Maybe, maybe what wears you out, maybe you're tired of waiting for prayers to be answered. Maybe you have a feeling that God has forgotten you, that he's just indifferent, that this time he's not going to come through. Here's the difference living by faith makes. You can think, I really think this is good for me, what I'm asking, and it's hard. It's hard not to get it. 
But I know there is a world where God never feels far away, where every promise is kept, where everything is perfect forever. And it's not far off. And until then, the God who will provide for me completely then is with me now. I know he is because Jesus died to make it so, so I can endure. I know what awaits me. And if I'm honest, which is a quality I think people appreciate in a pastor, if I'm honest, what wears me out the most is a nagging feeling, which is hard for me to shake, that I'm a disappointment to God. That God thinks I'm okay, but I've fallen short. I, I haven't lived up to my potential. Uh, it's okay, God, you know, it's okay for you to come to heaven. I'm just not thrilled that you're here, that I'm a disappointment to God. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning on, a, on the heels of a failure to live by faith this week, maybe a failure last night, and you just feel like, God, God doesn't really want me here. God doesn't really want me at all. You struggle to find the future reward more compelling than the fleeting pleasures of sin. You struggle and you think that because of that, God is just always disappointed in you. But here's the difference living by faith makes. You can think, even though I'm struggling because of what Jesus has done, I I have straight A's. I have a perfect record. I have perfect righteousness in God's sight. And he commends me. He approves of me. He accepts me completely because of what Jesus has done. So I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to pull back from a God who sent his son to perfect my faith, to make me righteous and acceptable to him. I'm going to ask him to forgive me. I'm going to ask him for new strength. I'm going to tell somebody who can help me walk through this. But I can endure this because I know what awaits me. People of Sunrise, let's see again this morning that fixed point on the horizon, that light and high beauty forever beyond the reach of the shadow. Let's trust the promises of a God who sent his own son for us. There is a city to come. Jesus is there. So let's endure together looking to Jesus. Let's look to him now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you praise for your life of faith. That for the joy set before you, without wavering, you endured the cross. And you did that not just to please your Father, but you did that to be the firstborn of many brothers, so that so that we could become part of God's family as well, so you could bring us along into the presence of God. And we rejoice that that by faith, not by perfection, not by never falling short, by faith, we are welcome with the Father. By faith, we belong to him and to you and to the Spirit forever. And that because we belong to you, we can know that what's coming is good. We can know that our reward is secure. And I ask that you would help us to so be satisfied in that city, so be satisfied in what awaits us, that we can endure and obey today. Please make us a holy people and a joyful people because of what Jesus has done. We pray in his name. Amen.